Monaco and Culture is brought to you in association with the all-electric 2024 Cadillac Lyric. Magnificence electrified. The Cadillac Lyric delivers a sporty, responsive and agile drive that makes every mile a milestone. This groundbreaking Ultium EV battery platform fundamentally changes how electric vehicles are engineered, delivering charging and power storage technologies that fit seamlessly into far-reaching journeys and daily commutes. The Lyric is a vehicle that balances the sensual and the technical in masterful harmony, where rhythm, form and colour unite. From emergency braking to intelligent alerts, parking assistance to vehicle monitoring, the Cadillac Smart System suite of safety and driver assistant features, standard on the Lyric, means you'll drive with added confidence. While innovations like available supercruise driver assistance technology and Google built-in set a new standard for technical prowess. Take the next step. Head to Cadillac.com now to configure your car. The all-electric 2024 Cadillac Lyric. Magnificence Electrified. Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. Twenty years ago, the renowned Swiss art fair Art Basel went international and debuted its first overseas fair in Miami Beach. Known for its pristine beaches and glitzy nightlife, the launch of Art Basel Miami Beach was seen by some as a surprising choice. In the two decades since, the move, however, has proved to be a savvy one. This year marks the largest show to date, featuring 282 exhibitors from 38 countries and territories. On today's show, we're heading to the Magic City to reflect on those past 20 years and to project ahead a little for Art Basel Miami Beach in the future. We'll also be finding out about another Miami art fair celebrating its 20th birthday, NADA, and how it became a different sort of institution in its own right. Now, Art Basel recently announced that Mark Spiegler would be stepping down as director, with Noah Horowitz returning to Art Basel as CEO, having been director of Americas from 2015 to 21. Here's our conversation with Noah and Mark about the past, present and future of Art Basel Miami Beach. Noah and Mark, it's so wonderful to have you on the programme today. Thanks uh, for your time. I'm sure at the beginning of a very busy week um, for you both. Now, we're kind of celebrating um, and marking 20 years of Art Basel Miami Beach. Um, so, Mark, I'll start with you. Um, you must have some... Uh, you must have some sort of um, rituals and sacraments that you enact to, to kick off um, a busy week for you in Miami. Um, can, you, can you tell us how you're, you're kicking off the week? Rob, for many years, I've spent Thanksgiving Day in the air, meaning I fly from Switzerland to Miami and I land pretty late uh, on Thursday. And then, of course, with jet lag, I'm up quite early on Friday. So my ritual is that having gotten up at four or five in the morning at 7 a.m., meaning dawn, I go paddleboarding with Craig. And Craig and I had just finished up a paddleboard across Key Biscayne. We made it all the, almost all the way from Miami Beach to Miami this morning and then came back. And so that is my first business meeting of the fair week. That, um, I, that's got a mixture of outward boundness and, um, and an uber Miami-ness, Mark. And this is presumably Craig Robbins you're talking about, who is kind of... I guess one of the architects of the fair some 20 odd years ago as well. Yeah, I mean, Craig has been one of our great allies here. And of course, he's the founder of Design Miami, the, the design fair which runs in parallel to us. 
both in Basel and in Miami Beach and next year in Paris. And Noah, you, you, um, you're, you're taking the reins of, of Art Basel, the, the sort of whole, the whole monolith of it. Um, working in Miami and working with Mark at this fair, what's that kind of taught you? What, 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 what are the essences perhaps of Miami as a city and that way of doing business that sort of informed the Art Basel brand as a whole, if, if you know what I mean? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having us. Um, I didn't go paddle boarding this morning, but I did do a swim <laughs> and a bike ride. Um, maybe not quite as early as Mark. Yeah, I mean, Miami, um, I think, has taught Art Basel how to, how to really rely on a community in a different way. I think the what's become really the fair template the world over of collectors opening of their homes, of this extraordinary VIP programmation that runs throughout the city during these show weeks was really something... Of course, that was already in place with the great institutions and, and extraordinary supporters in Basel itself, you know, for the first many decades of, of our existence. But it was really catalyzed and, and catapulted ahead with the extraordinary generosity uh, of the local collecting scene and the local institutions here in Miami. So I think it's really given our show uh, and the city a human face that's uh, really about community. Yeah, and and no, you, you're talking about the collectors there, and you 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 and, and Art Basel as a as a as a concern holds them very close to to its heart. And anyone that's visited um, the Miami Fair as a journalist or as a collector will have had a fantastic time. And 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 having these collectors open up their houses and be so sort of generous with their time and their their expertise is an amazing thing. How how close do you do you work with collectors still, Noah? Well, we work intimately close, really hand in hand with, you know, with all our constituents here. Clearly, the, the collecting community in Miami is, is unique. Uh, in many ways, their support and desire and determination to bring Art Basel, you know, from Switzerland here 20 years ago was, was a key to, to how we arrived. Um, but it's not just the collectors, of course. You know, we spend a lot of time uh, with the local museum and institutional community that continues to grow uh, and, and spread. There's a version and gallery scene here as well. You know, there were a handful of galleries of relevance when we started 20 years ago. You know, now there's, there's, there's a, really a thriving scene spread throughout, you know, uh, greater Miami. And so we, when we're here in these cities during these weeks, but also throughout the year, we really try to embed ourselves within the community to, to listen, to hear, to ideate with them together, because that's what makes these shows distinctive, unique, and in a world also in which there are nowadays so many fairs and there's so many outlets to see uh, and experience culture. It's important to remain distinct. And so a lot of that distinction and, and what sets the feel and vibe of one fair week uh, apart from the other, you know, is really part of that. And of course, in Miami, it's the local scene but it's also the bridge to the broader american market and and then the market as well and 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 the art world in central and south america that that's so embedded within this community yeah well, well mark I'll, I'll turn that over to you in that case um i know that sort of some 20 years ago maybe maybe it was a little 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 later than 20 years ago but art basel miami was sort of talking about how it was the gateway to south america that this was a really unique thing that it could do that it, it's sort of geographical position made it attractive to South American collectors who maybe wouldn't go to to Europe and galleries that wouldn't perhaps go to Europe or or, or London. It, was that was that a very kind of definite thing that, that you that you kind of 
imbued the roots of Art Basel with that kind of gateway to South America thing? Or is it just a sort of, is it a bit of reverse engineering? No, this was a very deliberate choice. And I should point out that 20 years ago, when the fair started in 2002, having been postponed for one year because of the World Trade Center attacks, I was not part of the fair. I was a journalist. But of course, I was following it very closely. And I did a lot of interviews with Sam Keller and other people about it. And at the time, the idea of being a gateway to Latin America was certainly valid because most major Latin American families, those who have the kind of wealth to collect and be patrons, have some combination of kids going to school or residences or businesses or bank accounts in Miami. It's always been the safe haven for the Latin American socioeconomic upper class. But it took a while for it to develop. And part of that is because Latin America has a different kind of structure of collecting than North America. North America has all these kinds of museums, museum patrons groups, you have the young patrons groups, and then the, the contemporary collecting board, and then the senior board, and then the board for this and the board for that. And Latin America was much more social. And the way the Latin American component of the collecting base at Art Basel Miami Beach grew was through people. You would have somebody who was on the international circuit And they would gather a group of friends with them to come to Art Basel Miami Beach. And then those people who weren't necessarily collecting would start to collect. And then they similarly would bring a group of their friends. And so in essence, it was really a ripple effect. And and, I mean, looking back, and Mark, I'll I'll stay with you for this one to to give us that kind of long view on 20 odd years of, of Art Basel. It seems, you know, when you do something right, it always seems like it was destined. (laughs) But it wasn't an obvious choice, perhaps, for a lot of people maybe in the art world were like scratching their heads as to why Art Basel's kind of new iteration wouldn't be in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or or another sort of North American city. It feels obvious now, perhaps. um, But what was the what was the thinking and how how come um, it wasn't one of those other perhaps in inverted commas safer um, cities to host a fair? Well, I mean, I'll go on the record as saying that I was one of the skeptics when I was a journalist, and I didn't really believe that what made the Art Basel show special and successful could be exported, and I was wrong about that. But because they didn't export it, they really adapted it, and I think that's really important. Noah made the point before that each show operates within a different ecosystem and has different bases of support within the community. What I underestimated was the degree to which the local collectors put themselves behind the show. I remember my first day ever in Miami ended up at the home of Rosa and Carlos de la Cruz, who had hosted a party for hundreds of people, opened their homes up to total strangers who had just been validated by the fair, and not only showed us this amazing collection, which now has its own museum space in the design district, but also invited us to this amazing backyard dinner party on the Bay of Biscayne. And so it was that kind of energy took a while for us to wrap our heads around because we weren't used to it. But in the end, I think it's what made the fair successful. To answer your question, I think the reason that Art Basel didn't go to New York, which would have been by far the obvious choice, or to Chicago, which had hosted a fair for a long time, was they wanted to do something new. And they strongly believed that the geographic positioning of Miami made it a gateway to Latin America, but also made it very accessible to places like New York, like Dallas, Texas, like Houston, like Puerto Rico, but also very much to places like London and and Paris. You know that it's it's a quicker flight there than it would have been to Los Angeles, for example. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and, and there is a sort of, there's something obviously very attractive, and, and as you've said, Mark, there's something very attractive about the city and the opportunities, these wonderful parties that are hosted in, 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 in what are now institutions that came from private collectors' homes, perhaps even. But Noah, for, for you, organising the fair and, and, and planning these things out, how important is the vibe of Miami itself as a city to the, the success of the fair and to the sort of atmosphere. It's, it's a very successful atmosphere, especially coming over as a European and visiting. It feels like a, it feels like a wonderful sort of end of term <laughs> celebration. And obviously it, it, there's different ways that the financial year works and things like that. But anyway, how, how, how important is the vibe of Miami to, to the fair itself? Yeah, I mean, I think it's integral. It's, it's totally enmeshed within the the identity of what the fair is, the, the tropicalismo of being indoors, outdoors, of, of being able to be on the beach, um, but equally in, in some of these extraordinary institutions. It's just, it's part and parcel of what the fair is. You know, the Art Basel model, so to speak, in many ways is, is you know, if they build it, people will come. Um, and so, you know, as Mark said, well, the obvious move might have been to go to to a New York or Chicago, you know, which both in New York's case, clearly it's, it's an epicenter of, of of our gallery clients of institutions in Chicago's case, it, it had, um, you know, a very proud history um, dating from the 80s of, of having, you know, what at the time was a leading fair alongside Basel in Switzerland, but to to a light here in Miami uh, brought with it a whole different energy. And, you know, and I should note also that that energy, as I'm sure you and, and many of the listeners will be aware, is just rocketed uh, in the last few years as well, coming through COVID with so many people from across the states and, and really throughout the world relocating here, you know, the burgeoning tech community, the, the, you know, various people from a whole different range and scope of businesses are now here. And it's, it's, it's extraordinarily thriving. Yeah, and and you guys, I mean, I, I can I can kind of hear the excitement because it, it, it's such always such a wonderful week, such a celebration. And Mark, just to come back to you um, quickly, um, the fair sort of has been a success because of little nudges and tweaks, little innovations you make without sort of upsetting the general sort of atmosphere and success of it. This year, with twenty years, sort of twenty year birthday, what what are what are a couple of the tweaks and innovations that you're 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 going to uh, wow us with this week? The biggest changes this year, I guess, are architectural, but it comes, first of all, because we're going to have the largest number of galleries ever and the largest footprint for the galleries that we've ever had. We have 282 galleries compared to 269. It's still fewer than we have in Basel, but it's pretty close. And the reason for that is twofold, but both of the reasons are tied to the pandemic. The first is that during the pandemic, many galleries who had supported the fair for more than a decade were forced to step back. They couldn't come to the fair. They faced financial issues. Their artists weren't producing. And so they said, please, we just need to take a year off. We'll be back next year. And they are back this year. And by the same token, the pandemic, I think, catalyzed a really deep and urgent thinking about the role of equity and diversity within the art world and the ways in which we failed. And we made some changes last year to the rules, which made it easier for galleries who didn't fit the traditional context, often galleries that were Black-owned or galleries that came from further away to take part in the fair, and they did. So we made a lot of progress. And so had we kept the same number of galleries this year as last year, we would have either been forced to deny the return of some great clients or to roll back the progresses that we cherished so much. And so faced with that dilemma, we just decided to expand the fair. 
We have a lot of new galleries this year. Uh, we have nine galleries from Asia, five galleries from Africa. And in general, you see a lot of progress. You see the vibrancy of the American scene. And when I say the American scene, I mean both North America and Latin America. So it's going to be a great show. The, the, the fair has never been, I would say, more vibrant or more global than it will be this year. And, and it seems to suit Miami very, very well. I mean, everyone, it seems like a very comfortable place to be showing all sorts of all sorts of different stuff and for everyone to sort of slot in and have not their niche, but um, feel at home. It, it, it's a very easy place to kind of, I'd have thought, do business and show show wonderful work as well. Um, Mark, I'll just stick with you just for a, a final answer. Um, you've got great experience in the city and with the fair, of course. Can you give us, you gave us a little window into your, your morning meeting on the paddleboard with Craig Robbins this morning. Thanks for that. Um, do you have a sort of a quintessential memory or, or hope for, for working in Miami this week? Is there a thing that you, that you remember as being a particularly potent sort of exemplar of the success of the fair? I know Miami gets a tough rap for being a, a party fair or whatever. And I think that's entirely unfair. I think it's, it's easily one of the best fairs in the world just based on the quality of the work. But what's also interesting about it is who it brings together. I remember a couple of years ago, I went to a party that was thrown by two friends of mine. One is an, one is an Italian who runs a record label out of Miami, uh, Manfredi, who runs Life and Death. And the other one is, is Stefan, otherwise known as Dixon, who runs Intervisions out of Berlin. And they throw this incredible party. And I went there at the end of the fair, and I was watching Dixon and Christian, otherwise known as Ame, play on stage. And... They're both art collectors. Like Christian is very close with the gallerist Max Meyer. Dixon literally every time he's traveling says, hey, which museum should I go to? Which gallery should I go to? And I was watching them play. And to my left was Virgil Abloh, the dear, beloved Virgil Abloh, who was a wonderful designer, but also someone who dabbled in architecture and art and DJing. And then to my right was Arthur Jaffa, who was on the verge of winning the Golden Lion and much and, and rightly so for all of his work. And Arthur Jaffa was also a great director of photography. So for me, when I think about, and then at our back was the wind blowing off Key Biscayne. And I think about this as this kind of moment where you see it's not just people coming to have fun. It's a particular kind of person coming to have fun. Um, and it brings together people who wouldn't come together otherwise. And then great things happen. Well, drink to that. It sounds uh, it sounds like an amazing thing. I can almost feel that warm breeze um, off Biscayne Bay. Noah, for you, do you have a kind of a, an amazing memory? You've sort of slotted into the fair a little bit later than Mark, but what 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 for you is a sort of quintessential Miami memory or, or experience that kind of that defines it? Rob, it all begins and ends with a banana and duct tape. Uh, that, that that experience with Maurizio Catalan uh, at my last fair, really, when it was full-blown pre-COVID, you know, is, is in many ways the, the sort of paradigmatic Art Basel Miami Beach memento mori, um, you know, a conceptual sleight of hand by one of the great artists of our time that in many ways could really only manifest itself at Art Basel Miami Beach. You know, you could have done this in a gallery or museum, but it wouldn't have had that resonance. But here, you know, at that time, sort of riding this insane wave of, of social media and selfies, it, it became uh, this thing that really broke the internet. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's silly and, and trite at some levels, but this really encapsulates, you know, what what Art Basel Miami Beach is and can be uh, and the power and resonance 
this fair has, you know, as Mark said, and, and sort of the broader cultural mindset of our time. I mean, that's really a, a powerful and unique tool and very, very, very special in many ways. So I, for, for me, at least, you know, I'll never forget that moment, but it's also a reminder, you know, of the power of, of, of what art can do and, and, and how we could share and communicate these experiences. So uh, banana and duct tape, baby. That was Noah Horowitz, CEO of Art Basel, and the outgoing global director, Mark Spiegler, on 20 years in Miami. Next up on the programme, we'll find out about what it's like to attend Art Basel Miami Beach for the full 20 years, or maybe not quite the full 20. Uh, I've got a bit of a hangover just thinking about it. From one of its regular patrons, Artnet executive editor, Julia Halperin. So I have to tell you, I wasn't at the first one because I would have been like 13 years old, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I did start going at about uh, 20. So I've got, yeah. I've got a good, you know, you've got a few under your belt. I do. I do. Um, definitely at least a decade. And I think, you know, the first, I wasn't again, wasn't there, but the first planned Art Basel Miami Beach was delayed a year because of 9-11. And I think, you know, the market was very unsteady at that time. And then going into um, to 2002, the first year, I think the aim was really to show that you could have a serious art fair in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in a city outside New York. And it was really about kind of proving itself as a serious place. And I think in the course of 20 years, that kind of chip on the shoulder of proving itself as a serious place has come back around. <laughs> Art Basel Miami Beach is still trying. Um, you know, it had a, a period where it became really the hub of the American art fair calendar. And then because it was so fun and there was it was so sunny and the weather was so good, it also became kind of just a, a party spot. And so you really see the fair kind of trying to reclaim its place as a as a place for discovery and serious business in addition to being a good time okay that's an interesting point i mean i i i, I stupidly and naively set this up by saying I, I feel like i've got a hangover just talking about it but there was let's not call it a golden age um but certainly for the for the parties and the launches and the new galleries turning up and a lot of kind of what you might call reaching out to kind of um magazines and, and radio stations and stuff was happening there how has basel as a brand and the people that, that control that 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 miami fair kind of doubled down on trying to reclaim its reputation as a serious fair as a place for for, for business and, and discovering new art and new collectors then i think you know they have focused a lot on the Miami infrastructure as you know a place for private museums where you can see all of this great stuff outside of the convention center and you know a few years ago they launched survey which is a kind of more focused look at art from before 2000 so it has a kind of more serious art historical angle to it but also like it is the fair where you see people in the highest heels and their palm trees and that's always going to be part of the vibe and the appeal <laughs> it was always kind of the way that it was sort of sold as being the gateway to South America because you'd have, you, yeah, you'd have a lot of South American galleries who wouldn't be making the trip to, to Basel in Switzerland, perhaps, or maybe even freeze in London, but would happily 
pitch up a few thousand miles north um, to Miami, where obviously the language, the, the lingua franca is Spanish as well, etc., etc. All these reasons, sort of like home from home for some of those galleries. D- did it and does it feel like the gateway to South America for European and North American galleries heading south and those South American galleries sort of uh, heading north? Or was that just sort of an, a nice banner to, to have on an aeroplane flying through the sky on those opening fairs? I think it, to the extent that anywhere that's not in Latin America feels that way, I think it does. Um, you know, you do have much larger population of Latin American collectors there um, or with, you know, sometime homes there than in any other major American city. And the galleries, it is a much broader selection of Latin American galleries than you would see anywhere else. So, you know, I think people have started to kind of shift energy a bit more towards uh, Zona Maco as another kind of hub where a lot more of Americans, a lot more Americans are going now to kind of get that. This is the Mexican fair. Yes, yeah. in Mexico City. Um, but in terms of American fairs, I think that is a very good tagline that's mostly true. Okay. And in terms of sort of, there's always a bit of a chicken and egg thing with, with, with art fairs, I suppose. They have to be in a city which has got a collector base and a gallery base and people are going to turn up to. But they obviously also, if they're successful, can really propagate a scene. What do you think is the story with Miami? There are obviously the Rubels and, and, and various big collectors, uh, the Robinses and things as well. But... Um, what, where, where are they on the sliding chicken and egg scale, I wonder, Julia, in terms of propagating or being the beneficiary of, of, of collectors? I think they propagated a great deal. I think if you ask them, they'll tell you they were entirely the chicken, the, the mm-hmm. you know, the grandmother chicken. Uh, <laughs> the I golden think, goose. Yes, exactly. Um, I think, you know, the Rubels preceded them. A number of other major collectors preceded Art Basel Miami Beach there and, and were part of encouraging them to come. Uh, but I do think Miami would not be considered a destination art city without it. And just finally, a market question, Julia, which is, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a magazine, you have to have your meetings with your advertisers at a certain time of year and they still have money left in their coffers to spend next year, et cetera, et cetera. Where does Miami sit in the kind of financial year of the international art world? Because by Christmas, people are looking forward. You know, they've just had Thanksgiving if they're North American. They're looking forward to Christmas if they're European, et cetera, et cetera. There's an element of maybe tiredness to it, but have people kind of replenished their coffers to buy at Basel, Miami? Or, or is that where the party aspect comes in, that it's kind of the end of term prom, as it were? I think it's definitely the end of term prom. And I also think that dealers are accustomed now to floating in advance, okay, we're going to have a work by this person or we're going to have a presentation by this person. So they're really doing the kind of cultivation that leads to ideally a successful fair well in advance. And I think we are firmly in the age of the pre-sale mm. uh, at the art fair now. And Miami, our Basel Miami Beach is no different. A lot of these dealers have already sold what's going to be in their booths by the time they get there. And so it's more about being there, being seen, and having a reason to reach out to your clientele. Julia Halperin from Artnet there. Thank you.
And now it's time to cross the bright blue waters of Biscayne Bay to the Art Deco Ice Palace Studios, home to this year's edition of the new art dealers alliance, NADA. Just like Art Basel, NADA turns 20 this year, and the four-day-long event is set to welcome 146 galleries, art spaces and non-profits from cities all over the world, including Paris, Tokyo and Dubai. The journalist Marissa Masria-Katz talked to NADA's long-time director, Heather Hubbs, to find out how this upstart art fair became an institution in its own right. Heather, it's your 20th anniversary, and what would you say are the main points of difference between how it started and where it is now, two decades later? It's, it's different in many ways. I mean, it's, it's a bigger organization. We have a bigger staff. We're doing a lot more than was being done in the very beginning, um, which, you know, makes sense for a, a small but growing um, organization. Um, I think the times that we are living in and selling art in and having small businesses in is quite different than it was when when Nada started as well. So the challenges are different. I think the uh, the diversity in terms of the type of artists and the type of work that people are valuing now is different than it was in the beginning, I believe, as well, which is a good thing. So on that note, what values do you want to make sure you retain as the fair evolves? Um, well, you know, I think Nada has always championed diversity and championed artists um, from all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities and has supported that work in the fair. And we've always supported young galleries and tried to help them grow and become a strong business that can, you know, continue for many, many years. And I, that is definitely something that we want to continue to do because that, you know, we're, we are an organization started by dealers for dealers. And I think keeping in mind that we're here for galleries first and foremost is something we can't lose sight of. Otherwise we're kind of, that would mean kind of losing direction that that is the focus of NADA and it has been from day one. So there was a pause with the fair during COVID. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And you came back last year and I was there. It was really strong. Thank you. What did you feel you learned from that edition? And what will you be carrying from that into this one? I mean, I think I learned that, you know, having a pause, having to pause, having to stop and reflect, though challenging and can force, you know, some tough moment psychologically no matter what situation you in you come out you definitely come out stronger I think the I, I agree that the fair looked amazing we didn't have some of the galleries that have been there for many years for different reasons but we had an, a lot of new amazing galleries that shined bright and looked amazing and I mean I don't think we had received so many high compliments on the quality and energy of the fair in in, in a few years and sure that could be attributed to the fact that People hadn't been at art fairs for a while and people love Miami and they especially love Not a Miami. It's it's a very beloved fair for people. But I also think it, it you know, it, it was a reflection of the quality of the galleries in the fair and the diversity. So, Heather, the challenges that face mid-tier galleries are well known. But what do you think are the biggest challenges or have been the biggest challenges and changes for the emerging market? I think rising costs. Uh, of running a small business are some of the biggest challenges because I think there were lots of challenges that came across 
the table during COVID when galleries were closed and couldn't stage exhibitions and it was hard for people to get into galleries. But once people were able to open again and stage exhibitions and people figured out how to get things online, I feel like some of those challenges um, were overcome, but the, the rising cost of just everything is something that I think is really being felt now and doesn't seem like it's going to get better. Um, you know, like I've just, I've talked to people who say that they're selling more than they've ever sold in their careers, but it's still not enough. And that seems to me to be an indication that, you know, their, their, their budget line items haven't changed. It's not like they've doubled in size, although some galleries are growing, but that just keeping up with the, with the costs and having to also pay people who work for you or work with you as a freelancer more money because they need more money because of the rising costs. Like it's just all uh, affects the bottom line, um, which is, I think it's challenging. It's challenging. How would you describe the Nada collector? I think that there's a big range in the types of collectors that come to Nada. You know, I think that, that I think that very, very serious collectors come to Nada I think people who are just extremely curious and can't, uh, you know, want, 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 like enjoy the discovery um, and enjoy seeing someone new for the first time come to Nada. I think um, people who want to see first and foremost, what's going to potentially end up at Art Basel in six years or something come to Nada. I think you know, uh, people who work in bigger galleries come to Nada to see what the younger people are doing. Um, it's definitely a good way to keep your f- finger on the pulse. But yeah, I think I think we get a big range of, of the types of collectors, I think. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when you walk around the fair. There's so many different kinds of things for people to get to know and familiarize themselves with. What do you think people can look forward to at this coming edition in Miami? You know, we're back at the Ice Palace Studios, which we um, think is an, a, a really glorious home for the fair with our, you know, really amazing outdoor area in the front, which provides a lot of outdoor space for people to hang out in after they've perused the fair. And we've got a lot of great programming, um, which you can see on our website. Uh, pub- it's uh, public programming in our Not A Present section. It's a, it's a really packed full schedule, but there's some really amazing stuff happening there. And, uh, you know, not to mention just the, the galleries who are exhibiting. There's, um, again, I think even more so than last year, a really great group of galleries who've been with us for a while and new galleries and a wide range of um in terms of geography, there's people from many parts of the world coming down to the fair. And it's our 20th anniversary. So I, um, I'm i excited just to be down there and celebrate that and really, you know, hopefully enjoy what we've built and um, get ready for what's to come in the future. And that is it for today's show. My thanks to Heather Hubbs and Marissa Masriere-Katz, Noah Horowitz and Mark Spiegler and Julia Halperin. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph chung and this week's show was edited by Callum McLean. We'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks very much for tuning in. 